everyone out in podcast land. I'm Mark Jorgensen, the host and creator of the Markcast. Um, for this podcast, I had the distinct privilege and honor to speak with Chuck Armstrong. So Chuck is a guy that I knew growing up in Seattle, Washington, and, and uh, I've just kind of seen a lot of the comedy he's done over the years. And uh, it's been great to watch as now he's, uh, he's doing comedy full-time. So I felt I had to talk to him. We had to talk about what he does and just these hilarious videos he's got. Um, they've got a lot of material on Funny or Die. And he has his own uh, show that he produces um, with another guy named Charlie Stockman. Um, and it's called Charles. Um, it's really funny. They, they've done a lot of hilarious work. And so um, we, we get into that, talking about his work with that, talking about some of his um, startup work. Um, he's worked for several sharps in San Francisco and Seattle. Um, and just we talk about, you know, TV shows, comedy in general, and uh, where things are going. Um, it's a fascinating discussion. Um, it's a long one, and, uh, but it's a really good one. So uh, please enjoy. So uh, right now, uh, Chuck has a lot of upcoming dates um, with his group, Charles. They're doing their Moby Alpha show um, in New York. That's going to be April 7th through the 14th at The Pit. So you can still get tickets for that right now. And also, he's going to be in Austin, Texas, the second week of May. And the first week of May, he's actually, they have a play they're doing um, called Randomized Skin. And that's going to be at the LA uh, Sci-Fi Festival. So check out one of these venues, depending where you are in the country. And... Uh, you know. Also, just a quick reminder, please leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Um, those reviews are very helpful um, for just getting feedback in the rankings. Uh, and so, all right, here's Chuck. Enjoy the episode. Can I call you Chuck, or do you go by Charles now? Ooh. Sorry, I um. Go by Charles. Uh, no, so I go by um. I go by both. Uh, most of my friends call me Chuck, as they have for most of my life. Uh, but sometimes in a professional context, I'll use Charles, and uh, as that's also the name of my comedy group. Sometimes it's it's useful to introduce myself as Charles uh, to new people, and then you know they, re- they remember the comedy group name easier that way. I just have such a hard thinking of you as as, as anything but Chuck. I just uh, maybe maybe because I knew you when you uh, you know you were younger or something. Uh, yeah, I think most people do. I guess apparently I kind of exude a certain Chuckness uh, that is hard for people to shake. Was it hard staying this cool um, growing up so close to Bill Gates? Staying this cool. I, that is assuming. <laughs> that I am, first of all, cool, and that I'm at some level of, of comparable cool that you, you've been able to measure and maintain. Uh, That's right. I would contend that, I, yeah, being cool never really had anything to do with it as far as my, my growing up was concerned, which you should remember, a lot of time spent playing video games and uh, watching almost live when we weren't supposed to, Mark. Yeah, man, I loved Almost Live. I guess for every like kid our age in Seattle growing up at that time, like in the early '90s, like that was like the coolest thing. It was cooler than Saturday Night uh, Saturday Night Live. Oh, it was so cool because it was it was local. It was jokes about uh, you know people and places that you knew. Uh, it also it looked good, but it was also obviously you know kind of indie, kind of I don't want to say DIY because there was a you know, a local network behind it. But it definitely didn't have the polish of an SNL, which I actually think was a, uh, a part of its charm. 
Well, yeah, and there was so much more localized humor, I think, because a lot of the New York stuff, you know, that didn't quite connect on the West Coast, and in particular in Seattle, I think, but, you know, Almost Live was, it was like all local, basically, so, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean... I- yeah. Did you ever see their new show um, called The 206? The 206? I saw a few sketches yeah. uh, that were released online, but by the time it was being regularly broadcast, I think I was might have been out of Seattle. I remember it coming back when I was still living in Seattle... But then I started to move down to L.A. basically around the end of 2012, and that's when uh, that's when I think it was broadcasting regularly. So I saw a few of the sketches. It was it was, it was pretty good. Uh, it, what was cool about it was that um, they produced it themselves. So yeah. they basically got the money together. They got some financing. I don't know how they did it, but then they basically did all the production themselves. John Keister, Pat Cashman. Uh, there were a few other folks involved. I don't remember. Those are obviously the big names. Um, yeah. I w- yeah, and King was just like, because of their relationship, just said, yeah, go ahead and we'll broadcast it after SNL. So, Chuck, you were, I, I think, I've known you. I don't, I don't know when we first met, I guess, because we went to elementary school together. Wait, can I ask, are we, are we going right now? Have we started? Already? Yeah, we're going, we're going. Oh, we're going, we're right into it, all right. Okay, yeah, go, so go ahead, go back. Oh, uh, wait, so we grew up, I, I don't know when we first met. I mean, I know we were in elementary school. We probably shared some of the same, like, classes a few years. Um, so I don't know exactly yeah. how far who, we go back. Who was your third grade teacher? Oh, Foley, I think. You Foley. went Foley? Okay, so I had Mrs. Scott. Were you in, what about, who was your second grade? Mrs. Robinson? Robinson, yeah. Yeah, okay, and that's where we met. We were in Mrs. Robinson's class, oh, second grade. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. Um, but I remember playing tons of corner tag with you, and I think yeah. I, I do remember playing um, football, and I remember, like, we did this one sketch comedy thing. Um, in maybe it was fourth grade, third or fourth grade, but it was like the life, like we were both like, like linemen, like a tackle or guard. And it was like about how boring, like the life of a lineman is. And we were just like staring at the screen for like a minute of just like doing nothing, but like uh, 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 with our face, like contorting or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think we did that in a, uh, in like a video sketch, right. In like fourth grade. Cause that was basically at a time when you are that age, you don't. It's not a lot of hard hitting. Because what did you play, guard? Because I think I played tight end. Guard or tackle? Yeah, one of those. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so we we were probably like right next to each other on our ten-year-old football O line. Um, I remember that. And but you are you are you the youngest child in your family? I am. I'm the youngest of three. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. you were the youngest kid, and then um, your dad. Your, your dad worked in sports, right? So he was working for the Mariners, and uh, sports is a big part of your life, right? Yeah, Baseball. yeah, yeah. He worked for the Mariners on uh, two different stints the whole time I was growing up, um, and then also did some consulting work, and then uh, worked at the UW when he was in between uh, times. So yeah, sports has always been pretty. Uh, worked at the UW athletic department. Sports has always been pretty, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty central to my identity. I'd say I would agree with your with your assessment thereof. <laughs> I think I remember you saying, like, like in uh, in elementary school, or maybe it was like one of the baseball teams. You were like, yeah, I'm pretty good friends, and like you listed off like a bunch of like the Mariners like teams. <laughs> I'm sure was, that that was I'm sure that that was childhood bragging. <laughs> Call myself friends with adult men, professional baseball players. Uh, that is, yeah, that is a that is a that is a that is a ten year old's. Uh, that's like the equivalent of kind of being like, uh, oh yeah, I went to, I went to, I uh, kissed a bunch of girls at camp, but you, uh, you know, you can't, you don't, you can't, you don't meet them. They're, you know, they're Canadian, so yeah. uh, you don't know who they are. Like, so you did the whole like middle school and high school, and comedy was always kind of like important to you, uh, right? I mean, I, I don't think it ever stopped being important to you, right? It just kind of was always something you were interested in, and 
Did you ever yeah. think about you were gonna do it professionally or something? Was that was that ever on your mind, like growing up? Uh, excuse me. Um, I honestly don't know if I can sit, like gauge one way or the other whether it was something that I was cognizant of. I think that in middle and high school, I didn't think much past leaving high school. Like I kind of like was very focused on kind of what I was doing in high school and then what I and and trying to go to college. Yeah. Um, so thinking beyond that in a, in this, in like a career sense, wasn't really something that I, um, that I, that I guess like explicitly, uh, would have acknowledged. Um, but I kind of think it was more, you know, I think I just had a lot of funny friends and ended up getting involved with, um, like some student activities and some teachers who, for whom, uh, performance and comedy were, were important. Um, I think, didn't you end up, because you left school, right, and then came back to Bellevue for high school. Uh, uh, you- yeah, yeah, I, le- I went, I moved to Denver um, in middle school for a couple years, and then I went back for um, high school, yeah. Right, because we did drama together, didn't we? Weren't, weren't we in the same one, Yeah, one of the years. Plus? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we did some funny, I loved that one with the, the substitute. We did this one, it was like, <laughs> that movie in the 90s was called The Substitute. That, I, that's the class you're talking about, right, that class? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that you have, so I don't remember that. I like that you have those these specific memories. I remember you and I were in the class with uh, a few other folks, you know, and it was it was sort of more. I think that I enjoyed I enjoyed performing, obviously, uh, and I enjoyed comedy just in general as as a, as a discipline and as a as an activity, as a pastime, as much as anything else. Um, and then in high school, I was involved. I don't know if you remember those guys, Alex Salsko, David Tracy. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jensen yeah. Curley. Uh, yeah. You know, good friends of mine were all very, I, I think, really, you know, very sort of gifted uh, comedic performers and actors. Oh and, no, they're hilarious, man. It's so sharp. I mean, yeah, really smart yeah. guys and very funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really funny guys. And so I kind of just fell in with them, and so was like something of a, a theater kid, I guess you could say. I mean, I was involved in like the theater production class and we did a lot of, um, we did a lot of comedy. We would always do, uh, like Monty Python sketches or, uh, even we were doing sketches from Mr. Show and we once did a sketch from the state, you know, pretty yeah. much anything. If we yeah. can convince the teacher, uh, that it, that it worked as uh, it technically who, worked as, as a theater thing. Who is that teacher? Who is the, the teacher to that? Uh, Georgie Johnson, I think is her name. Is oh, that right? Okay. And then, and then a guy, Dave Klein, uh, who was really involved with Dan Klein, Dave Klein, Dave, Dave Klein, Klein, Dave Klein, who was really involved with, um, actually Seattle theater was always brought on to like direct the performances. So yeah. they were kind of the only arbiters of, of letting us do whatever it was we wanted to do, which happened to just usually be learning, you know, Monty Python routines and performing them for the school. Yeah. And then did you, so, and then you went out to school, you went off to Stanford and then did you (laughs) continue doing like comedy and stuff like that in college or not really? So, you know, um, there was a, uh, I don't know how interesting this is. This is, so I'll give you the, the end of the story I'm about to tell is that sort of nothing happened. We can edit, yeah, we can edit. If it sucks, we can edit it out. Don't worry. (laughs) That's good. That's always just, that's a good kind of card. Yeah, to have a kind yeah. of ace in the hole. You know, if it sucks, we can edit it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I came to Stanford, there was a uh, there was a, there had been the year before um, a very active sketch comedy uh, show on the local television, like the like the student oh, cool. broadcasting. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, um, right on. 
Right, but pretty much all those guys graduated the year before. But most most of the people involved with the show had graduated, so I ended up becoming friends with these guys, and we would kind of you know meet up and write sketches, film sketches that uh, ostensibly were to be packaged into a thirty minute sketch comedy show, which never materialized. I think we probably wrote and filmed something like four or five sketches total over you know just my freshman year, and then the year after my freshman year, everybody. Everybody graduated. Okay, were, were of, they good? Was it funny stuff, or were you, and you guys just couldn't get it enough together to like make it into a show, or, or was it just not good enough? You guys were like, ah, this is just kind of for us to goof off or whatever. Well, the, the question of whether it was so the, when the show was active, there was definitely a lot of stuff that was, I think, very good. Now, I mean, keep yeah. in mind these they're, are they're students, right? They're watching yeah. like other fellow Stanford students mostly that are watching this stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It was a show, and this was obviously before Facebook, pre- right? Pre-social yeah, media. Facebook, I mean, before YouTube, right? There, like yeah. even the idea of embedding web videos was yeah. still pretty. It was a few years new. off. Yeah, this is like so, early two thousands. Then, right? You went to so two thousand. We both graduated. Okay, two thousands. So this is like early two thousands, right? Yeah, yeah. So this yeah. would have been. Yeah, the show was called the Oval Show. Okay. Uh, and this would have been 2000, 2001. Yeah. Really what all I was doing was writing some sketches, pitching them to the guys who were still around, and then acting in a few of the things we filmed. But I mean, like I can't stress enough. Like literally. Nothing materialized out of okay. those efforts, other than okay. my friendship with that group of people. Hey, man, um, that that counts. That's well, wait. So what I was gonna say here yeah. is I was gonna okay. the, where, where this goes is that the um, a lot of the members of the Oval Show moved to New York after they graduated okay. and started. They were in a uh, like a live sketch comedy act called the Sam Park Review. Okay, S A M Park Review. And they uh, they were they were good, and they actually also were doing a lot of web videos again before YouTube, uh, and were sort of really active, kind of making what were almost like surreal performance. I don't want to say performance art; that, that that gives it kind of the wrong vibe, but sort of surreal um, comedic videos and, and live shows. And the summer cool. between cool. my freshman and sophomore year, um, I had an opportunity to go out to New York, so I lived in Manhattan. For a summer and oh, okay. basically, yeah, hung out with them and you know yeah. wrote a couple of videos with them and they were cool enough to put me in a um, I shouldn't say just me I mean it was myself and another guy who I was friends with who had also tried to work with me on the uh, the Oval Show before it totally blew up um, and I mean blew up in a bad way like went away yeah yeah, yeah. Like, dissolved like, dissolved yeah, yeah, yeah. dissolved dissolved, dissolved. Better, there you go there you go the yeah, yeah. Um, he came with me and we ended up uh, sort of they kind of they treat, they, the joke was that we were their interns for the summer, uh, yeah. which was great. Yeah. Um, so worked with them, but then I think really in answer to your question, like the bigger comedy project that uh, I undertook at Stanford was the – I wrote for the Humor magazine, which is called nice. the Chaparral, the Stanford Chaparral, Chaparral. And it is, I believe, the second longest continuously published – Humor magazine after the Harvard Lampoon. After, yes, after the Harvard Lampoon. Uh, so I just did a podcast actually with a guy who worked for the Lampoon, not the Harvard Lampoon, but he worked for Lampoon in L.A. The National Lampoon. National Lampoon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Right as it was kind of like entering the digital age. So kind of like right as it as it was falling apart. He worked okay, for it yeah, like yeah, last yeah, five yeah. years. So, anyways, he had some funny stories about that. Um, but so, okay, so you did your time in New York. I don't like so many kids from our generation. It seems like you always had to have that stint in New York. I, I don't. Was it always like that? You think for like like preceding generations? I mean, I think that's an interesting question. I don't really have. Yeah. Uh, I 
don't have extensive enough knowledge okay. about yeah. the history of New York and industry to okay. really answer that. Yeah, it's all, I mean, as long as the United States has existed, right? New York has been a place where young people went to cut their teeth in, I mean, literally every industry you can uh, yeah. imagine. I mean, even if you were doing something like, I mean, even if you're doing something like, you know, working at, like for a company that, that ha- had orange groves, in Southern California, they probably, you know, traded orange futures on the New York, uh, you know, the New York Commodities Exchange or something. Oh, like, that's right. You, and you've New- done all this, like, writing on commodities trading as like, too. I forgot about that. You've done – so you're kind of an expert on this whole commodities business. I would not call myself an expert on the commodities business. That's a whole, that's a whole other conversation. Okay, Get okay. into that if you want. Okay. And it's quite ancillary to. Uh, well, no, but, you're, but I mean, New York's always been connected. Either I mean, there's obviously there's the arts and like you know the cultural influence, you know, and obviously there's the financial, which kind of touches almost every industry and every business as well. Absolutely, as yeah. well as being a, a strong industrial base historically as well. There was a lot of industry there, you know, historically in around there, right? So. Uh, oh yeah, but also, but in, as far as entertainment is concerned, right? I mean, it's it's you know because even before. Um, before the you know the film and television industries, yeah. right? New York was all like you know kind of spread it up in Los Angeles. New York was always that's where the best actors went. That's where the best plays were put up. That's where the best you know, that's where bro- obviously it's where Broadway is. Right. Uh, and I think you know even early on in the early days of television, uh, a lot of stuff was produced in New York. Yeah, uh, I think up until about like the '30s, when kind of like Hollywood kind of came into its golden age of like producing yeah. movies. I mean. New York was really kind of the default place. And then I, I think the 30s on or so was kind of when Hollywood took over that forever. Yeah, I think that, I think that's about right. Um, but it's always, it's always – yeah, it's always been central I guess is what I'm trying to say. I don't think there's a time when New York wasn't uh, – wasn't insta, you know, just sort of instrumental to yeah. uh, the entertainment industry in some way. So you had a pretty good time in your stints out there, right? And then uh, – Oh yeah, well, I was only there for just the once. I just one summer. Oh, okay. Uh, but it was it was the first time that I had ever performed in a live sketch comedy show to a uh, to a to a to a to a paying audience. Okay. It wasn't like a high school talent show or something. So I probably built some confidence though. You're kind of thinking, hey, you know, people will pay to see me do this, and you know, they will not throw up, you know, and I'm not getting pelted with stuff, and you know, I, I could you know, maybe do this, you know, as a, yeah, as a part time kind of thing. What's sort of funny about doing comedy, I mean, even that show, you know, most of the audience there at that show were people who were, uh, I mean, some of them were, you know, fans of the group, but a lot of them were people who were friends of mine who I'd met in New York or friends of friends or friends of friends from college. Interns, yeah, everyone's friends, basically. Yeah, right. Well, but what's funny is this is actually kind of an interesting thing about, I think, comedy specifically, uh, which is an art where you are, you know, so much of your uh, measurement of success is based upon uh, the audience's reaction, at least, you know, in, in the early going when you're, yeah. when you're trying to yeah. gauge whether you're oh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that you kind of have this veil of... Um, protection? Well, I, I was going to say, like, uh, I guess protection is right. It, it's like uh, you're, you're sort of shielded from knowing whether you are actually good or bad because <laughs> early on, it's pretty much just your friends coming to your yeah. shows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and as a result, you, you probably walk off the stage more often than nothing. Oh, man, I, I'm the funniest guy in the world. <laughs> I, just killed, I just killed to this audience of people who've known me since I was 10 years old. So, man. Chuck, Chuck have you ever not felt that way, though? I mean, come on. Let's <laughs> just, <laughs> I, just yeah. messing with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, probably, probably more so as I've gotten older. 
as you get mm. older, you your uh, the arrogance kind of kind of fades. I think yeah. when you're a, a brash young man in your twenties, you think you're the funniest guy yeah. in the world. And uh, if people don't laugh, that's their problem. Yeah. So, but but you got some laughs, you know, and your friends were seeing you. So you're, you're figuring, okay, you know, this is a thing, you know. But but I guess you did finish your, your college years out. Um, you had a good experience in Stanford, otherwise, right? It was a pretty oh, good time. Yeah, it was great. It was fabulous. Uh, my program was in uh, basically kind of at the nexus of computer science and linguistics, uh, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, and then I met amazing people, and I mean, yeah, the education. I mean, it was Stanford. <laughs> it was. A, I mean, it was. It was an incredible education. Stanford was an amazing place. Uh, there's something for everyone. Um, if you want to go and you know study music, you can do that. If you want to study computer science, fine. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's uh, it's it's incredible. That's that sort of goes without saying, though. We don't need to just keep. I don't need to sit here and talk about how great Stanford is. I'm sure there's plenty of. Like Stanford has become so much a part of like I mean, so many of the companies and the digital, you know, Facebook and the Google have come out of there that. I, I don't know. There's a special community there that you can't really be replicated, and I think it's very much a part of you know the whole broader culture at large. Um, but at least. I mean, I, I will say though, I mean, this it's kind of become this echo chamber. I think, uh, in, in in a sense, right? Like, uh, there's sort of been like a media fetishization yeah. of uh, Stanford as this as this school where you know that's like a sil- that's like the Silicon Valley hotspot um you know and a lot of that is is true because Stanford has a great computer science department but i mean when i was an undergrad computer science was not a very popular major i mean it was shortly after the first dot-com crash and uh you know a lot of most people that i knew were kind of studying things like uh it's a lot of like pre-med a lot of uh human biology uh actually a lot of sort of finance and econ uh because obviously this is before 2008. Oh, that's uh, right. Okay, so yeah. when you were there, though, really, it's kind of after the whole dot-com bubble burst, something like that. So it's like like the excitement for that had kind of tapered down for the meantime, right? For, so oh, yeah. What, it no, wasn't it totally. It totally had tapered down. Uh, computer science was not a, a, a even close to, you know, the insanely popular major that it is now. Uh, yeah. You know, I think also that there wasn't, there wasn't a startup scene, right? So if you were a computer science major uh, in and you graduated – from I mean anywhere really 2002 2003 you would you know go work at Yahoo or or I mean even work at Google was very small at the time so I don't know how how many engineers they could hire but you would go you know Yahoo Microsoft uh, you might work at Sun Sun still existed yeah um, but you, a, I think people were sort of deal. looking at you know these big tech companies as kind of the destination for people with computer science degrees in the early in the early aughts this is before Facebook before like the whole Kind of renaissance yeah. of the well, Silicon Valley startup. Yeah, and then what? So, what was your? What did you do after? I mean, I assume you had a few options to work. You know, do I go work for a big kind of company like that, or do I go do a startup thing? And what was your? What was your choice after that? Yeah. So after I graduated, I worked for a company in San Francisco um, that was called uh, Posit Science, which was actually it was a, they were trying to do something pretty cool. I really I really liked them. They're very similar though. In terms of mission to uh, kind of what this, have you heard of this company Lumos? No, Velocity, Lumos no, Labs. No, no, they're a, uh, they're a brain a brain fitness uh, yeah. company. And what Positive Science was trying to do was uh, basically we were building video games that were designed to sort of hopefully slow the onset of um, like Al- mild cognitive Alzheimer's? impairment, Alzheimer's? yeah, like Alzheimer's things like that. Uh, and yeah, and so I worked on a team of people that was basically like we were doing research on how 
subjects were moving through the program. How did it go? Uh, I mean, how did the company? The company is the company still together, or did they get no, bought the, the off? Company does, no, the company does not exist. Okay. Uh, it was, <laughs> nice going, know. Chuck. Way to go. <laughs> I was. I could not have been lower on the totem pole than, <laughs> okay. than I was. I had no, no, no hand whatsoever in shaping the future of that company. Okay. Uh, so they I fell was, apart, and then did you did you leave before, or did you stick stick it out till the end, or what was your? I was there. I mean, I was only there. I was probably there like a year and a half or something. I, okay. I, okay. I, I joined up right after college, but then the company, the company totally had a downsizing and restructuring. Okay. Um, so were you know, part of that? I don't did know they? Much did they? About it, but, did uh, they lay yeah, you think, off? You know, was, did you get laid uh, off? Did you get laid off from that? Yeah, or? I got. Oh yeah, yeah. Got, I totally got laid off. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Bummer. Uh, I, was, I mean, yeah, but you know, I, I think I was twenty three at the time. You kind okay. of yeah. Okay, I got to figure something else I want to do. So what was the next step after that? You know, did the comedy thing? Okay, was that still in your in your mind somewhere, or was that? So yeah, actually, the big. Um, I guess my big extracurricular the entire time I was working there was um, a few friends from Stanford. Yeah. Um, specifically, uh, two guys who worked on the humor magazine, the Chaparral, with me. Yeah. So uh, a few friends from again, I, I can't stress the uh, like the importance that the the Chappy, the Chaparral, was in uh, yeah. sort of forming my comedic sensibilities when I was at Stanford. Yeah. Um, a few friends from the magazine and a few other friends that I'd known from just classes and, and, uh, yeah, a few of us had like lived yeah. up in Tahoe a couple of summers. Uh, we started a, a sketch comedy group called the wooden, uh, the wooden robot Okay. in, in San Francisco. So there were five of us and you performed, uh, you guys yeah. did shows. We did, we did shows in the city. Um, for free, or people paid you, or, or is both? Just kind of whatever you uh, kind of gig you got. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's pretty pretty standard the way that you would normally produce an independent show. Uh, if we were in a couple of festival shows, which would mean we would submit a demo and they would say, "Oh, okay, yeah, you're in," and then they, would, depending on the festival, they would pay us or not. But in that case, you're not putting up any production. Yeah. Uh, and then we were also self-producing, which would mean we would pool our money, we would rent. Uh, I was going to use the word theater. But occasionally that was not the case. Uh, yeah. San Francisco at the time, it was less. Uh, there, there, there were there were weird buildings that you could get access to <laughs> that I, I, I don't know that you would be able to get access to. Yeah, yeah. Well, real estate prices now. I mean, those are all probably nice condos and everything. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I remember we did this show. It was so good. Uh, we did a show in like I don't know how to describe it. It was like a it was like a like this warehouse where yeah. it was basically a warehouse like under the freeway. Really? Uh, where uh, I think uh, 280 met Cesar Chavez, so the sort of southeastern tip of the mission, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and it, it, was, it was just this huge warehouse. And uh, we did a show that there was like no stage. No, it was an nothing. abandoned warehouse. There was no one in there. So you guys just no, no, no. There? So lots of like artists lived oh, there. They lived there. Oh, okay, cool. But it was like there were like squatters. Weird like lofts that they built like around the main warehouse floor. Okay. Uh, uh, does that make sense? Wait, wait. Did they have ownership, or were they just there, like squatting, just kind of like, oh, we're, this is ours? And I, I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> it was one of these situations where a friend was like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I heard that this warehouse is you can rent to do a show because a lot of a lot of a lot of bands I think were playing there. Oh, okay. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, you rent the space, you put up the money, um, and then you you sell tickets. So you know, once you've rented the space, it's 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 kind of up to you how you want to 
try to make your money back or, um, you know, what you want to set your ticket prices at. Yeah. So you, so did, we, you guys did okay, right? You were successful in doing a few shows like that? And those went pretty yeah. Well. I mean, I, I, just call it successful. I mean, we were basically, again, at that point, probably mostly still doing shows for kind of our friends and other people in the comedy scene. Yeah. Um, but that was fine for us, right? I mean, it wasn't, nobody had a lot of skin in the game. We actually kind of put a lot more sort of early effort into um, trying to make uh, like uh, like a comedic website. Yeah. And with um, with video pieces, uh, a lot again. This is still pre YouTube, so a lot of it was like getting trying to get video sketches on the internet felt like a uh, a good use of time, and also felt pretty unique. There wasn't a lot of internet video at the time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Was it a good comedy scene at the time? I mean, San Francisco at the time. I'm sure it was always been a pretty solid scene there, right? But it was a pretty good time to do comedy. Yeah. In San Francisco. Well, you know what's funny is the stand up scene that. Uh, I was aware of, so I don't, I'm not a stand up, um, but yeah. inevitably the worlds kind of overlap. Um, but it felt like a lot of people at the time were kind of doing stand up down on the peninsula. So then, like, uh, Menlo Park, Palo Alto, because a lot of these bars were sort of catering to comedians. Yeah. Uh, there was a pretty cool, there was a group in San Francisco that I think is still active, um, called Killing My Lobster, yeah. which is a, uh, they've kind of been like a stalwart in the Seattle comedy scene. Excuse me, the San Francisco, San Francisco comedy scene. scene. Um, so they were sort of like the uh, like the Godfather organization to everybody okay. else in San Francisco yeah. that was doing comedy. Um, so you did that for a little while, and then um, and then you moved back to Seattle at some point, right? Yeah, that's right. In two thousand seven, two thousand seven. Okay. Yeah, okay. moved back to Seattle. And then what was so? What was that? You just want to be closer to where you grew up, and you know, do something else? Or was there a job you got there? What, what was the move about? Yeah, so basically, um, this is actually kind of the beginning of what I, I sort of trace the trajectory of my current comedy scene back to this or comics comedy scene. Tra- I sort of trace the trajectory of my current comedy career right. back back to this move. Um, so one of the uh, guys who was working on the Wooden Robot, who was not technically a performing member, but had been doing a bunch of writing for the group in San Francisco, yeah. uh, was Charlie Stockman. Okay. Uh, whom I had met writing for the humor magazine at Stanford for the Chaparral. Charlie, uh, senior year, had been editor in chief of the magazine um, when I was a staff writer, and he and I became very good friends uh, and were roommates in San Francisco. And okay, yeah, right about the time that the, the company I was working for went out of business, uh, Positive Science, um, the Wooden Robot was kind of breaking up. Uh, a few of the mem- one of the members went to law school. One went to go do his PhD. Uh, one of them went back east to get an MFA at film school. Um, so it, it was kind of dissolving, and that happens with comedy groups. But Charlie and I had been, you know, talking and wanting to kind of strike out and do a project together, the two of us, because we um, we were good friends, obviously, but also we I think we liked each other's sensibilities. Um, and at the time, Charlie was working for uh, just he was, he was a software engineer at a tech company in San Francisco, and he hadn't really been doing as much comedy as he wanted to be doing. So we sort of had this plan that we were going to move up to Seattle um, and and uh, and do comedy. And the incarnation of that comedy was going to be this uh, fake news uh, web series called Seattle Untimely, which was very, oh, very yes. much in the mold of uh, Almost Live. In fact, that was kind of part of why we picked Seattle, which was sort of arbitrary other than my, my being from there and wanting to go home. But 
Charlie's from Baltimore, and I think he kind of just wanted to leave San Francisco. So when we were talking about where to do this uh, project, Seattle was just kind of on the short list. Um, And he had a lot of friends and family in Seattle also, so it's not as though it was totally arbitrary, but... uh, but that was basically, it, it, it was kind of a, uh, yeah, well. Seattle, well, yeah, I, I watched that show. I, I remember, well, I watched a bunch of them. I don't know how many you guys oh, did. Oh, man. How long did it go? You guys did that for a few years. We did it something. for a year, but okay. what was, we did, we put out some, I mean, we, like, what's funny is, I guess we did it for a little longer than a year, but, I mean, we put out, like, something like 55 episodes oh, of gosh, that show. that's a lot, man. I know. That's is, more than one episode a week. I know. Well, but I know that was, I think, I mean, that thing extended. It spilled past the year. We definitely didn't get under 50 in one year. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But basically what happened was we kind of had this whole idea. This was still, so YouTube was out, but it was still kind of uh, a new thing, nascent. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, there was, you had a lot of stuff like this was kind of at the height of Homestar Runner, um, yeah. like Strong Bad Email. I never was, got into Homestar Runner. Did you get, I didn't get it. Oh, I loved it. You did it? I, okay. I, I, yeah, I, I was obsessed with it. it. I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious. I couldn't get enough. Yeah. I, I mean, I liked that they were doing it. I liked the idea of it, but I just didn't really, I don't know. It kinda, I, I think it, it kind of spoke to this um, sort of like childlike retro sensibility that um, I think at the time was sort of pretty absent from the internet. I mean, now all you get is like, Nostalgia listicles on BuzzFeed. That's like pretty much all. What, ha- what happened to Homestar? I mean, it was it was totally like two, it seemed like there was like two or three years where it was like all the rage, and then yeah. it just kind of disappeared or something. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I heard that. I, like, I think find out, guys, people. I, yeah, I mean, I, I read up. I think I think those the guys. It was just two guys making it. I think I think they might have gotten hired to work on. Um, um, a show somewhere, maybe. I mean, I don't know the specifics. I don't know. So, but Seattle on Timely, that, that was fairly successful, you'd say? Or what was kind of like... No. Oh, no. Like, okay. Oh, no. 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 All right. I would say, I mean, uh, I would say it was successful in terms of us uh, learning to write together and, okay. and thinking about things, uh, thinking about logistics. It was one of these situations where, you know, in retrospect, we put all this planning into how we were going to produce the show, but we didn't really think that much about how whether anyone would watch it or how you would compel anyone to watch it because the format that we really were sort of married to especially early on was just very much exactly the same as um, Weekend Update or the John Report from Almost Live which you might remember so we had this um, we lived in this duplex in Ballard and we turned the, uh, the kind of the downstairs living room of the duplex into a studio so we hung a green screen up and we had work lights in there and the desk, a permanent desk. So we would shoot there uh, every week and Charlie and I would, you know, write the episode and then we would also, and some, I mean, some weeks, you know, we had some friends who were filmmakers and directors that could help. But when we were committed to doing it every week, we frequently had to do all this, everything ourselves. Yeah. Um, and pretty much as a result, absolutely everything suffered uh, <laughs> from our our lack of focus on what we were working on. I, I remember one, though. There was one you did. It was kind of like a getting the band back together bit. Um, oh, yeah. That was funny. Yeah. Like, you called up all these people, and they're like, okay, Chuck, I'll, I'll, you're like, come on, I need you, and Seattle needs you. And yeah. they're like, I'll do it, Chuck, as long as you're wearing pants or something. And you're like, I can guarantee, or like, like no, no drinking, no beer, and like no pants or something. You're like, I can guarantee one of those or something like that was all bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Something <laughs> yeah. Like that. yeah. yeah, that's right. That's um, yeah, that was, that, that was an episode <laughs> that we did that after we, uh, what had happened? We had had, cause we'd had a couple different co-anchor anchors. I think we were like everybody that had been working on it kind of 
fell into other projects for like yeah. two or three weeks and we hadn't put out an episode, but yeah. which was frustrating because we were ostensibly committed to putting a new episode out yeah. every week. Uh, so we, so we did that. Um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. It, it was a, it was, it was fun. Uh, and there's a few episodes that I'm actually still fairly proud of. Yeah. Um, I mean, that I can look back and say, yeah, you know what? That was well-written or, you know, that's a good concept. We sort of just didn't know how to pull it off because we were, I mean, we were kids with a video camera in the basement and, uh, yeah. editing skills, not there. Directing skills, not there. Did not a light, did not do sound. Every, uh, everything. Just technically, <laughs> it kind of suffers. Uh, across the board. Sorry, what? Sorry, I, I said, well, you know, everything. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. Everything. Uh, I, I thought, the ones I, I saw, I thought were pretty funny, though. I mean, I could see, I mean, I don't know. I, I saw you guys were trying, I don't I thought there was some funny stuff in there. Um, I don't know if everyone kind of got to where you wanted to go, but I could see there was definitely some thinking going into this. There was some funny material in there. Um, I, I don't know if it got kind of trimmed down and edited in the right way to be funny to a, to a, you know, huge audience, but I think there was definitely a lot in there that was really funny. Um, well, thank you. I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, <laughs> thanks. That's, that's wonderful to hear. I yeah. mean, sometimes, you know, uh, if you, I, I will very occasionally go back and rewatch some of the old episodes. If I'm like, Oh yeah, what was that joke that we, that we wrote about, about something that's, you know, similar to what's happening in the news or similar to a sketch that we're working on. And I'll go back and look and I'm just like, Oh man, this, we did not know. <laughs> we did not know. How to use a video camera. Um, <laughs> but so, okay, you stayed in Seattle. So uh, after about a year or so, you guys kind of split up and go kind of do full-time jobs or something like that? Or what, what was No. Kind of uh, so what ended up happening was basically after about a year yeah. or so of Seattle and Timely, um, a few things happened. Uh, the first big thing that happened was uh, just um, local, a, lo- a couple local comedians um, – Started having asking us to be on their on their show. Cool. So there's this guy D'Artagnan London who's a really great comedian. He was an improviser in Seattle for uh, like a really long time, and actually ended up guest starring I think in one or two episodes of Seattle Untimely. Yeah. Um, he he hosted a show uh, at the in the, at the, the Hut Theater on University Ave. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's a it's a, uh, in the U District in Seattle. And he was putting on a festival called the Week of Fun, which was just you know, kind of a, like a local comedian's best of festival. Yeah. And he was cool enough to let us show like a few kind of our like a few clips from Untimely. So okay. Yeah. We we like put together a few things, and then we ended up writing this um, sort of jokey intro about trying to license the uh, the names of defunct movie franchises. Yeah. To just call your just just call your short film like. Police Academy Nine or something. Like you, just, you, know, you pay like three hundred bucks to Paramount, and you're just legally allowed to call your next movie Police Academy Nine. So, right or like you know, it was something like, I like that. that. And, uh, I like that. Oh, thanks. Um, so we wrote this kind of live intro thing, whatever, and then that that went pretty well. Uh, we showed some videos, and we met a bunch of comedians through that. I mean, we we've been hanging around the the live comedy scene in Seattle the whole time we were uh, working on on time yeah. because it's a very sort of small but uh really supportive really cool uh really weird scene that was like kind of into whatever anybody was working on but anyway through that um there was a woman named megan hescock who was a kind of big in the improv scene back in the day she lives in chicago now but she and i met actually in an improv class and she liked untimely enough and she was putting on uh like she had produced her own independent sketch show and asked charlie me to open for her so that was her group so that was a that was officially the first charles show which was born out of basically 
the year of doing Seattle Untimely and, and well, not having anything come directly from Untimely, uh, we made some contacts in the city who were cool enough to put us on, on, uh, on a few, on a few bills. So, and then it started out kind of as a live action thing then you're saying? Or? Totally. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. We were, yeah. When the move from Untimely to Charles was entirely a move from one medium to another. I don't think we okay. even touched video, uh, for a couple of years. I mean, then the next time we did anything with video was maybe when we were film, like putting a demo together to submit to festivals, but we hadn't made it. We don't think we made a video sketch, uh, as Charles. Yeah. I don't think Charlie, Charlie and I did not, I, I think make a video sketch from probably the end, like tooth, like the 2000, December, 2008 until maybe 2011. Okay. So uh, that was the beginning. Of, okay. So it was about 2008, uh, end of 2008 when you started doing this Charles thing. No, Charles yeah. started, the first Charles show was in March of 2008. March we of 2008. Op- yeah. Okay. When we were opening for uh, Megan Hescock's show okay. uh, at the Balagan Theater in Seattle. It was actually okay. in the lobby of the Balagan Theater. Okay. And so this uh, whole time you've been doing, so you've been doing live you know, Charles thing since, uh, yeah, since 2008, right? And that's yeah, been kind of yeah. your main gig, right? Uh, I've had other gigs. I mean, it's it's not doing live comedy is unfortunately not sustainable. Um, okay. But I've been I've been lucky enough that I've been able to get day jobs, usually in in the software business. So um, I worked for uh, I actually went back to the Bay for a year and worked for a software company while Charles was still um, going in Seattle. So I would come home to Seattle a lot to do shows, or we would book shows in San Francisco. Um, okay. And then I was back in Seattle for another few years. I worked for a couple of startups up in Seattle. Um, basically, you know, being able to uh, yeah. to, to find gigs yeah. when I needed to has been okay. uh, been a blessing. But but I mean, yeah. So it sounds like you guys had a really good um, rapport with each other. You guys had a really strong bond, so that you know you could kind of do these other things, these full time jobs, and then you could just kind of jump back and do a Charles show without like having to practice, you know, every day or something. Right? Is that you get, um, just come back yeah. together? I mean, I think that's right. We also benefited from because we were a, or we are a two man comedy act. Um, yeah. For a while, we were also roommates. So even when I was working for um, you know a software company, Charlie and I would still be living in the same house. So if I came home from work and we, you know we could immediately just start uh, just start pitching ideas, you know, over beers or whatever. Yeah. Um, and just having that proximity, also because we performed literally everything that we wrote or should I, I should say the other way around we wrote literally everything that we performed right and we were the only ones who did it there was no uh there's no like logistical breakdown around like oh you know this actor in the troupe is reading it this way or, or this joke's not playing when this actor delivers it like this like you know it's just the two of us yeah. uh we knew what we were writing you know very sort of at, at a deep level and so it was very easy for us to perform and transition uh the material that we were doing into um into, into material for the stage. What if what do you do if people take your bit? You know, have you ever seen that happen? I, mean, I don't know if it's happened much with you personally, but I mean, obviously it happens in the comic world from occasionally at the time. There's accusations that people take some. I mean, is that happen? Is that something you've had to deal with? That has not been a thing we have dealt with. Okay. Uh, we we've luckily kind of flown under the radar uh, okay. in that sense, meaning nobody has. I think that we are just not famous enough that anyone would steal material from us or would try to steal material. Okay. Although maybe that the corollary of that is that if you're not famous enough to defend your own material, then then maybe it's right for the taking. So, um, okay, so you so you were in Seattle, then you in San Francisco, and then right now you're in L.A., right? 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. So at some point, you, you're you doing this full-time now. The Charles thing is a full-time gig now, or are you still doing other stuff? Right now, I'm doing it full-time. Uh, okay. I was uh, – I mean, I don't know how specifically – how specifically you want me to get into the, the career the career uh, comedy balance. Because um, I've, I've kind of been focusing this uh, – excuse me, like the, the – I should just say the day job comedy balance. Uh, but no, it's like – I should say the tech career. The tech comedy career, balance. but but now you're doing you're doing all comedy right now though, right? Right now I am doing 100 percent comedy. Although I mean I, I should say uh, I don't want to gloss over um, you know like when I've I've had really great jobs and worked at really good companies and a lot of that has just been you know largely like the luck of having gotten to go to a school and got an education in a field. Sure. Oh sure, sure. Uh, where one can you know one oh. can. Uh, find work right now. Well, and you're really a smart guy, Chuck, and, oh, you, know, and, you, and you get along. Uh, you get along. You get along with people very well. I mean, for for someone, you know, usually people quite very intelligent. You know, you don't, you don't have as many people that are intelligent that actually get along with people and have a bit of a bit of charisma to kind of you know work with a variety of people. Um, I think, right? I mean, maybe I'm. <laughs> cool. So yeah, <laughs> should I send you a check for having said all those things? Yes. Yeah, so we, we can discuss the address. Yeah. Right after. Very cool. So, yeah. You, what's, your, what's your fee? Uh, uh, thank you very much. That's really, uh, that's really kind of so, good to say. But, Although, wait, I, I will say though, in comedy, the, I mean, everyone you meet, uh, for the most part, I would say probably compared to almost any discipline, every, almost every comedian you meet is, is, is very intelligent. Um, which is, I think, maybe a, a the good comedians, right? The good, good comedians. Yeah, the good comedians. I mean, yeah, I'm talking yeah, the good comedians. Okay, uh, sorry. But like, you, you, for the most part, like, comedy is, is it's a it's it's a field where uh, you have to be really thoughtful about not just what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Um, you know, putting everything together is you know not to not to be overly uh, grandiloquent here, but it's it's you know putting a comedy routine together, where, whether it's stand up or sketch, is is, is not that different from you know, uh, composing a song, uh, or, um, or, or putting together yeah. like, uh, or like arranging a piece of music where you're, or, or painting a painting where you're saying, you know, I need to be aware of the elements. I need to be aware of the composition. I need to be aware of, in this case, you know, for the sake of comedy music, the timing, uh, and all of these things, you know, matter. And the structure, uh, is very important. And the structure of good comedy, I think as a rule tends to be very well thought out. Um, you can see this a lot, especially if you go, if you hang around, say, like open mic nights, um, which is something that you would really have no incentive to do unless you are uh, an insider to a comedy scene. Yeah. But if you hang around open mic nights, you'll frequently see, uh, you'll see maybe like the same comedians get up week after week. Yeah. Working on a bit. Yeah. Now, the first time you see them do that bit, it might suck. strike you. Yeah, it might suck, to be perfectly honest, but it also yeah. might strike you as, as being something like, well... Mm, I, I, you know what? I, that's not. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. Right? Like it, maybe not. It, it sucks. Or like I, I don't see what you're doing there. Or, yeah. or I don't know why yeah. you why you think this is a thing that would be good for a joke. You'll see a comic then, you know, do that same joke ten times over ten weeks, and then all of a sudden something happens, and you know, and they figured out the puzzle, and now it's and now it's brilliant. Now it's yeah. hilarious. Um, and I think a lot of people probably think of, you know, they think of comedians as just people that, you know, get up and, and, you know, are just kind of just say things that are naturally funny. And while that's definitely true of a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people are are just sort of naturally funny. Uh, all of the stuff that you're seeing in a show necessarily is like, that is a lot of work and it's very thoughtful. And I think, you know, really good comedy comes from a really, like a place of 
uh, a place of intelligence and a place of you know forethought and uh, and very sort of rigorous structure. Where do you go in LA? Are you into the Upright Citizens Brigade kind of crew? I was I lived in LA for a little while and I was I was oh, in yeah. there a lot. Um, we have Charlie and I have um, performed. Uh, so we're not we're not on house teams or anything there. I don't know if you know how it's structured. Uh, the theater uh, is produces a lot. Of, I mean, it's probably I would say I would argue probably the, the best improv um, in the city. Yeah. Uh, if not if not if not the country. Um, yeah. And uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of what's happening there in the performance shows are they do a lot of, you know, like house-based sketch and, and improv teams. Yeah. Charlie and I have both taken uh, sketch and improv classes there. And I mean, it's great. It's a great, it's a great space to be. Um, but it's, uh, we do not have, nor have we had regular gigs there, uh, largely because it's like, that's, uh, you know, the people that are doing the shows at Upright Citizens Brigade tend to be people who are on the, uh, you know, they're, they're on, they're on the house teams, they're on the house improv teams or the house the house sketch teams. Um, although we've done a few shows there, we did we we did a couple of a few like three or four sketch comedy shows. And um, UCB is also really cool about hosting shows that let that are kind of like sketch open mics where people can you know bring bring yeah. a sketch and, and and do one sketch on a on a fifty minute show and there's an audience and you can kind of test it out. So we've been involved uh, to that extent, yeah. but we're not. I mean, yeah, neither of us is on. A team, if that's what you're. That's so, what you're well, there, there was a crew when I was there that was really funny. Um, there's like these three or four guys. They were from. I think they all went to Vassar College together. I don't know if they really? still get together. Yeah, I, I forget their name, but they what performed. Were they the, I forget. They performed every week. It was like on a Wednesday or a Thursday, like at ten or eleven o'clock. I, I forget, but it was. Um, this is probably this is probably three or four years ago though. So. Um, oh, yeah. This will be right. Was it Convoy? Maybe it was like four guys. Yeah, it was like three or four guys, and um, I know they've all kind of done a little bit of writing for TV shows and been in a few TV shows. But they were really funny. Like one really skinny guy and one kind of shorter. I, I mean, I I can't remember. So <laughs> and they were very. It was very kind of nerdy, kind of like you know, kind of comedy. It was really smart comedy, um, very fast paced, and, yeah. uh, and they were great. I that, yeah, I, mean, I think that. Yeah, I think what you're saying, right? That kind of speaks to the idea that people that are doing really good comedy aren't necessarily very intelligent. I mean, and this is the thing that you learn also if you're spending time around improv theaters or around sketch theaters is the people that are really, you know, finding success and finding their voice and finding an audience and be people that are thinking, you know, thinking very kind of at a, at a very thorough level about, yeah. um, at a, at a, at a, like an analytical level about, about, about what the art is that they're trying to put up and what they're, what, what they want the audience to feel and see and react. And, uh, yeah, a lot of that goes into it. And I, I think UCB is a, a, an amazing place for that. And the performers that come out of there, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, right? I mean, the people that yeah. do shows there are getting work all over the place. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, know. I mean, rightly and rightly so. Yeah. Uh, it's a good, it's a good so, like the ones, the sketch comedy of videos that you've done, um, I, I've, I've, many of them I've thought have been really hilarious. The, oh, thank uh, you. the Jaguar one, the, uh, the talk radio. Um, oh, yeah, more uh, talk. Yeah. Uh, and the graduation of the future um, talk, I think, are just really hilarious. Um, if you can just kind of quickly walk through, I mean, where, where do those, I mean, do you produce those yourself? Or I, I assume you have some other people that kind of help out with that. Um, and then like talk radio, um, if we can talk about that one, <laughs> where, yeah. where did that idea come from? Um, it immediately kind of made me think of so many radio stations that are just always, you know, no more rock. All oh, right. More rock, less talk, whatever. More rock, but, less uh, talk. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's um, where it came from or what was, so yeah. yeah so w- which would you like me to address first? Do you want me to talk about how, uh, those videos initially got made and, and then how we've continued making them? Or do you want me to talk about more rock specifically? Let's talk about more rock. <laughs> All right. So More Rock was actually one of the very first videos we've made post uh, Seattle Untimely. Okay. Um, and the way that came about 
we were still living in Seattle. I guess this would have been 2010 or 11. Okay. No, 2000. I must have been after 2010. So I would say, okay, 2010 or, or 11. We'll or call 12. it. Yeah, okay. We'll call, okay. It, we'll call it 11. So 2011 or 12, we had, uh, at this point, we'd gotten, uh, we'd had some, Charles had had some success from touring around uh, to a various sort of North American uh, comedy festivals. And we ended up getting invited to perform a showcase show at the Comedy Central stage in L.A. Yeah. Um, and we came down, we did a one-hour show. Um, and that's a show, it's like, a, it's, it's, uh, it's on Theater Row on Santa Monica at the back, backstage of the Hudson. It's a great spot and they treat you really well. Um, we did a show and our manager invited a bunch of industry people and among them were um, a guy named Elliot uh, Dicker who from Funny or Die who yeah. at the time was a uh, like a Funny or Die in-house director for them. And he okay, and Funny or Die started, what, in 2008, 2009, so, right? I don't know. I don't know okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it was around then. So it, it had already been around for a couple of years or something, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, at this point, Funny or Die, I mean, this was, they were doing, they were producing original series. Okay, and, um, okay. Elliot had directed a really, actually, hilarious uh, Funny or Die exclusive series called First Dates, which I, I highly recommend. Uh, First it's, Dates. It's really funny. It, it still okay. holds up. Uh, very good. Cool. Um, but it was four hundred. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Elliot came to the show, and that sketch, "More Rock, Less Talk," is actually a thing we'd had in our live show for um, for a long time. Uh, wow. I guess we had originally written it as part of a showcase show in Seattle, and then it kind of you know tweaked and mutated, uh, and became not that dissimilar from what you see in the video. But it was it was it's longer, obviously, which is funny because that video is really long. But um, <laughs> We uh, it, but, it was a it's a really long that, that okay, now I'm now I'm really overselling it. It was like it was a longer sketch yeah. in a in a live sketch comedy show. So yeah. most sketches you think are kind of like two to four minutes long. This is maybe like a six to eight minute sketch, and it was the second to last sketch that we put in the showcase. And we liked putting it there because it's very melodramatic. Uh, kind of like big, ridiculous, almost soap opera esque. It's intense. Yeah, you're like oh, screaming yeah. in there. You're like more rock, less talk. I mean, yeah. what, was that kind of a newer thing to have like that kind of intensity where you guys are like shouting at each other, kind of representing that DJ who's like disgruntled and angry? I mean, was that for what? for us? I think it was actually the first thing that we'd written where like it doesn't have it like. We wrote it to. We tried to mirror beat for beat, uh, like the 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 moments that you, the big moments that you have in like a in like a dramatic scene and like a debate. Yeah. Uh, and the original idea just came from the like the concept of uh, like a like a pragmatist versus an idealist, right? Yeah. So you have the one character, uh, the Z Man, who is just you know he's straight idealist. He's, he's the DJ, yeah, and he's, he's the DJ. The, yeah, he's the DJ, yeah. He, well, he's, his name is the Z-Man. The Z-Man. I mean, they're both DJs, right? Right, like, right. But he's been at the, you know, he's just... Well, he, oh, yeah, he's the one spinning. I mean, he's the one, like, who's actually doing the, the, oh, the yeah. song selection yeah. at the time. And then the but other guy yeah. is kind of the more straight, you know, he's like the, I don't know, the business guy who's kind of accepting the reality. You can't play well, all this right. music. But he's, he's come back, right? So then the, that's the idea, right? His name is, the other character is, is TJ the DJ. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, so, so how is it? It's a DJ uh, that you can that you can introduce your mom. You'd be happy to introduce your parents to. Right. DJ yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, exactly. but it was like the show. Like, like, like. Uh, at one point, Charlie even name checks the show. Right. In, in his closing monologue, he says, 
TJ and the Z Man on 106.9 The Bone, which is just such a <laughs> stupid, right? I mean, like, we all know that that show, right? Were, were you basing that off of any particular radio station, or is it just kind of a generic, like, every radio it, station that does this? It was utterly an amalgam of, uh, like, every radio station. I mean, the kind of the inspiration came from, uh, in, like, this weird observation. And I wonder if you could even have this now. I mean, I feel like I don't listen to just an FM, FM radio. Ra- yeah, yeah. Probably not. And, yeah, in like 2006, 7, 8, driving around in your car, you would still listen to the radio, right? Unless yeah. Unless you had like some cool hookup for your yeah. video or like for your iPod. Not right? anymore, yeah. Uh, yeah, right? So like you would listen to the radio. And I, I think the realization that in any city, you would have basically, you know, three channels yeah. all playing exactly, like literally exactly the same song. So the extent that you could jump around uh, right, like, oh, right, I mean, right. This song's gonna be played on the next station, and then the, also the realization that you could map most American cities' lineups to uh, to another city, right? So like yeah. this has the uh, contemporary rock station, oh and yeah, the classic yeah, rock station, yeah, and three, sure. and they're all the same, right? They're all yeah. very sort of generic, and they all have these morning shows. And they all have this claim that, like, you know, we rock you more than the other guys. You know, more rock, less talk. You know, talk is like the the evil enemy or whatever. Yeah, talk is, 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 yeah, it's it's all about selling you on the ratio of rock to talk. (laughs) Uh, Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole, that's the whole selling point. So you stations. started doing that, and I guess the, the audience would respond very well to this early on. Yeah, it was probably one of our more popular live sketches. Yeah. Uh, that anger, though, that you kind of channel in there, I mean, it's I, I don't know if it's just because I, I knew you when you, know, you were younger, and, and you always kind of seemed like a very kind of like fairly um, well-grounded, balanced kind of guy. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't really ever remember many times you ever got angry. I think the only times I remember you ever getting angry, and this is a good way, um, is because like, you would get angry in defense of, of other people that were getting picked on or something like that. I, I, it seemed like that would happen. Um, uh, I, that is I, a very awesome memory. I, I call my mom I, and tell her that. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, maybe it's been going a little far to say, but like that anger, like, are you kind of like, is that a real place you're coming from? Um, and I'm not trying to get all too, you know, into the psychology of this here, but like when you're kind of acting that out, I mean, do, do you have like places to go for that anger or are you just kind of like trying to mimic, you know, oh, no, well, this, this is what a guy like this kid would be doing. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely the latter. I, I yeah. wish I could tell you that I had some like great method acting secret. I think yeah. though, I mean, I, I'm given that uh, I have that leeway because because we're doing comedy, right? Yeah. If you were seeing uh, of an actual serious, you know, serious scene uh, on, you know, like a, a political issue, or uh, we actually watched a lot of clips from um, what's that movie with Liam Neeson about uh, Irish independence? Michael Collins, I think. Okay. I don't know if that's yeah, the name of the movie. Yeah. yeah. But like we like when we were writing that sketch, we wrote, we watched a ton like tons of scenes from that movie because a lot right. of it were He's good. You know, these He's yeah good. these arguments between. You know, a guy who says, well, you know, we can concede this and we'll keep this and people saying like, no, we need to, you know, stick to our, stick, you know, stick to what we believe in and we can't, we can't compromise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, my, sorry, my point was where I was going with that, you know, by, by caging this in like a comedic world, I think that we have the freedom to, uh, to, to get away with being slightly inferior actors and making, and, and convincing you that we're doing a passable job. Yeah. Uh, 
The angrier scene is definitely like me caricaturing <laughs> what I would expect, what I would expect to see in an actual dramatic film. Yeah, no, it, it's good though. It's good. Um, the other one I, I thought was great is, um, and I've shown it to a few people, is um, Jaguar, the Jaguar oh, consultant. Thanks, yeah. Yeah, um, where did that come from? The, the McKenzie Consulting? Uh, yeah, the McKenzie, 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 yeah. Uh, was that based off of any real kind of history where you're kind of like, oh, people are always mispronouncing these names and they don't really know what they're getting and, you know, just kind of the whole falsity of, you know, consulting or corporate consulting? Oh, um, no. Well, what? I, I mean, neither of us has any, you know, we've known a lot of consultants, but I don't think either of sure. us had any professional experience. Sure, I think... Sure. Um, no, and what's funny is that you're going. I mean, sorry. Did you have you worked as a consultant? Can I ask? No, 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 no. no I haven't. I haven't. Well, because I think it's funny that you went right to the the McKenzie McKenzie confusion because that was actually a joke that was added later as kind of a justification um, yeah. for for how in this case my character like really really screwed up uh, by hiring <laughs> the wrong consulting firm some unknown firm i mean i don't uh, think it needs that to work really but it is a really nice touch how you just emphasize that mckenzie is the best you know and the guy's like are you sure you don't mean mckenzie yeah and, you're, and your, your character like looks in a period of like disbelief and he's like whatever just like go ahead or whatever do the yeah do the power yeah press. i think yeah i think that's that's more just a justification for how uh we ended up in that in, in that terrible terrible place <laughs> having to watch that 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 the atrocious uh, beautifully beautifully atrocious yeah uh, well, well yeah if anyone hasn't seen it it's a guy who comes in uh, presenting to Jaguar um, the car company and he's giving a presentation and he's like well let me just get to the point people want smaller Jaguars. And then he quickly realizes that, you know, it, it's a car company. You know, they're not looking for actual pet jaguars. And jungle so, cats. Jungle yeah. cats. Jungle cats. They're afraid that yeah. uh, they're afraid large jaguars will eat their children. That's what <laughs> the research says. So you have to make your jaguars. Well, and the other part I just love about it so much, and this is just me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just gushing about this. But um, it's just like, like Gush the, away, man. The, 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 everyone's sitting around the <laughs> everyone's sitting around the table. And everyone, anyone who's been like in corporate situations, I mean, that kind of like look of this sort of like passive indifference where there's like, you know, half the people, they're just kind of like, okay, whatever you got to see. And one person in the front's just kind of like, this guy's full of crap, you know? And then a few people in the back are just like, whatever, you know, I'm just on my phone, just whatever, waste my time. I don't really care, you know? Um, and that just, that captures so much of like those kind of like just countless, countless meetings um, that I thought, I don't know, I thought that's why it worked so well. But, uh, well, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, all the stuff you see in that also uh, in the video came out of uh, was kind of adapted from uh, again you know that we actually did Jaguar as a uh, as a as a live piece originally okay uh, okay and this was sort of in a time when I so same with more rock right more rock was a live piece yeah and then we had a director approach us after seeing it and say that he loved the live sketch that was Elliot the, the fellow I was talking about earlier yeah and that he that. wanted to make uh, a film version of it. So a lot of the and, and Elliot was also the director of Jaguar. So we worked with the same director on both of those. Okay. Uh, okay. And a lot of the visual kind of decisions, really. I mean, that a lot of that goes to him. Okay. Uh, Charlie and I wrote it. We wrote the script. So the adaptation for film definitely, you know, came from our minds and, and thinking through, you know, visually what we wanted to happen. But you know, the, the visual language, the the whole yeah. uh, the action that's happening and where your where your attention is drawn. That's all. I mean, that's all. Elliot. Does he's funny a, or die? Does funny or die pay you for those, or is it kind of more of like a, a collaboration thing? So funny or die. Uh, they, they pay for content. Helped helped produce more rock. So they gave us. Um, okay. Pay for production costs. Like, okay. Well, yeah. So like 
they, they like gave us some, some money to, to rent because we, we filmed that in an actual radio station down yeah. in Long Beach. Uh, they gave us the money to, like to rent that that station's booth for a, like a day yeah. and they provided us some like equipment, some lights and some sound and a few uh, a few uh, okay. you know, members of the crew. And do they do that for a lot of people like you? I mean, or is it just kind of like a few people that are kind of getting that kind of treatment from Funny and Die? I don't know. I mean, so they changed their policies. They do do originals, but I, I honestly don't know. We at the time happened to uh, we we fell into it basically because Elliot, our director, was a, a Funnier Die employee. Okay, uh, and so uh, he basically okay. kind of was our evangelist. He he went to Funnier Die and said, "I want to make this video." Yeah, um, and they said, "Okay, we trust you, and you've done good work." I mean, so that's that's one of the situations where basically we were lucky enough to have somebody. I mean, somebody incredibly talented, like happened to like a thing that we we did. So we, I mean, we just basically reaped the benefit yeah. of that. Um, we're we're okay. kind of kind of switching a little bit of gears. Um, where where do you see as far as um, live content? You know, well, well, sorry, where the comic world. Where do you see video content in the next five to ten years? I mean, I, do you see it just kind of like you know just kind of growing and overtaking um, a lot of other pieces of comedy or where where do you see it going so we, sorry when you say over we say video pieces Vi- video uh, pieces like overtaking comedy so yeah what do, what do, what do you could you what do you mean could well you well that? well i mean just kind of being like like the main medium by which people laugh i mean like like okay so saturday night live let me give you an example like i think um louis ck i think he said about you know six maybe it was last year when they were doing that snl 40th anniversary he had, he had a bit where he's like you know the funniest thing on saturday night live it's it's the videos, it's the fake commercials and, and all that kind of thing. And so uh-huh. you know, here's the funniest part of SNL, and you know, and that did kind of resonate with me. And that I, I tend to be someone that I, I I more consistently find the prepared video sketches or the fake commercials or whatever it is. Um, I tend to laugh at that a lot more consistently than maybe mm-hmm. some of the more live content. And it, now that it's so much cheaper and easier to make content, you know, there'll be a lot more of it. But the, I think the catch is, you know, it's really still kind of hard to make good, you know, vi- comic video content. Well, so, okay, so, I, I, the, the, so, okay I, I see what you're saying now. So there's there's actually, there's a couple of ways I'd actually like to respond to that. So yeah. um, it is hard to be good, but a lot of the barriers for just watchability yeah, have, yeah. have gone away. Right. Um, issues around things like sound and lighting and... Uh, yeah. Like and also just competence at editing. Like a lot of people have gained those skills yeah. and have, I think, really you know lowered the barrier to producing a lot of really good video content. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing that I think you're you're seeing across all platforms, right? Yeah. I mean, it used to be, let's say, like I mean, just ten years ago, right? I mean, think about the average quality of a YouTube video compared to to what it is now. And that's just, I mean, that's just. A decade, right? Right, 2006 right, to, right, right, right. I mean, well, and and then generation now. I mean, it's just like it's secondhand. Where I mean, I think our generation it was probably a smaller, you know, percentage of people that were really kind of interested in that and would go that direction. Because yeah. I think you get interest in that stuff, you know, you develop those skills or hone those skills. Probably more like in your teenage years. By the time you're in your twenties and thirties, probably a lot of people have kind of selected like, oh, hey, well, I'm not going to do that because you know, I've already, you know, whatever, I'm not going to get that interested in this whole new medium. So there's kind of a bit of a self-selection bias where, you know, the old, younger generation is going to be a much higher take rate um, in that. So, yeah. Yeah. I no, I think that's, I think that's accurate. Um, but as for uh, like over, it, I mean, it becoming the, the dominant medium, I think that it's basically the same shift that you probably had in the seventies and eighties with, with television, right? Yeah. Uh, 
television, you know, replaced whatever else. So probably films and live shows as, as radio. the dominant medium. Oh, yeah. yeah, and radio. radio. Oh, no, I mean for comedy. For oh, for comedy, comedy, for comedy, yeah. Okay. And then now you're having video kind of replace television. Uh, and the line is kind of blurry, right? As fewer people subscribe to cable television and, and there's sort of a, a deconsolidation of um, like power is the word I'd, I'd use amongst the networks where, you know, there's a lot of, whereas, you know, 20 years ago you had three networks and, five or six special interest cable channels. Now there's probably something like you have the three networks and each network, you know, has five offshoot channels and you have, you know, 30 cable channels and each cable channel also has like a, uh, you know, a web production arm. And then that's not even including, you know, the web first producers like Netflix and Hulu and maker and uh, all those people. So what, what's your plan? I mean, what do you what do you want to be doing in the you know, next few years? Job interview well, I, I question. Wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to wait. I want to finish my thought. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. About, about replacing because this because you, you 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 had caged the question initially in terms of uh, how do these things compare to to live? Sure, time. sure, sure. Right, uh, right, right, right. And what I will say uh, is that I I think that for whatever is happening in terms of uh, what you would call broadcast media or, or mass media of any kind, even if it's only reaching, you know, a few hundred people, um, whatever is happening there, will, you will always have live comedy in some form or another. And the right. reason is simply that there's, there's really nothing, nothing better yeah. than, than the connection that you have from going to a live comedy show. Now, whether or not, uh, it will ever be a sustainable business for theaters or, uh, performers or artists going forward. I, I don't know. And I think that, you know, right now that's actually, you know, a lot of independent theater companies and a lot of comedy clubs and um, comedy venues are, are kind of feeling the crunch um, as, you know, there's sort of, uh, there's sort of less uh, generally, uh, usually like just sort of more of a focus on people producing stuff for the web. Right. But as long as you have talented people, uh, you know, people will always come to the theater to see those shows. Would you um, would you compare it to music? You know, do you think that's a fair comparison, or do you think there's enough differentiators that I you know, I don't similar, know e- similar about, economic uh, pressures? I mean, yeah, I don't know enough about the music industry to to speak intelligently on that. Okay, I mean, okay. it it seems like it would make sense, but I mean, yeah. I also don't know. I mean, I've never been in a band, uh, so I don't know what the I don't, you know, I don't know what the economics of being in a band would be and how that and how that's changed in sort of a post Napster iTunes YouTube yeah. world. Um, yeah. You know, what I can say is, you know, in comedy, uh, I think what you are are seeing now is kind of a, a rise of um, sort of uh, the of of independent kind of more niche shows, at least happening on the coasts, uh, whereas you used to have kind of in one city you would have like the comedy club like the, the chuckles or the or the the laugh the laughs comedy spot you know whatever whatever the name of the local comedy club was you're getting now a lot more um people who are kind of experimenting and doing shows in interesting places uh seattle is a perfect example of this there's so much cool interesting alternative comedy happening at venues you know throughout the city and a lot of it's happening in, in bars or or restaurants or or uh, you know old old, you know, theater RE, you know, proper theater spaces where, you know, you get, you're getting improv troops putting on long form shows. And I think that's happening, um, throughout, uh, United States and throughout North America. Um, I mean, it's something that we've seen, Charlie and I have toured a lot and you'll see, you know, 
a lot of scenes really, you know, like a lot of scenes really will have a thriving independent comedy scene. And the voice is different from what you would get, you know, uh, in, in another city or what you would get, you know, just on watching live comedy on, on television, um, or excuse me, uh, films comedy on television. Um, and I think that, yeah, I, I, I kind of just, I, I mean, maybe this is me being idealistic, but as long as you have talented human beings uh, producing good comedy and willing to get on a stage and do it, I think that live comedy will always uh, continue to exist and, and I don't think is in danger of going anywhere. Uh, does that does that answer your question? I, I think you answered a lot of questions there, Chuck. Boom. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I don't know. The, the, the overall, the demand and the the economics of comedy. Um, I mean, I'm not an expert, but they seem like they're probably in a decent shape um, in terms of the historical. You know, going well, back it's, last it's thirty tricky, forty years. Right? I mean, like, I think I, I think it's probably better. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, uh, unlike. Um, the United States might be might be a, a actually atypical compared to the rest of the world, even though we're the biggest, because um, there is a little bit of a vacuum. A lot of talent comes leaves wherever it's from and, and comes out to Los Angeles yeah. uh, to to try to, to try to make it. And then the result of that is you get a lot of amazingly talented people, you know, like all vying for not yeah. enough spots. Right, 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 right. Um, and so that and that that's really difficult. I mean, that's why. That, I mean, this is nothing new. This is this is exactly how the entertainment industry has always been. Yeah. Uh, but it it does seem to be there. There does at least seem to be more options now. When you're having you know web people producing stuff, and there's there's a lot more content being made, uh, which is which is I think better for comedians in general. There's probably more opportunities to be able to make a make a living doing comedy. Yeah. Um, but well, but I mean the, the the flip side of that though is there's perhaps less ability. Uh, for then people to make a living doing comedy, uh, you know, at it, where, whatever whatever city they're originally from, right? Yeah. Whereas you could maybe, you know, uh, make it as a... I, I don't know. Actually, I don't know, because it's kind of counter what I was just saying about... Uh, where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go with all this? I mean, in like the next few years, do you, do you see yourself doing just continue touring and just kind of doing more, um, you know, videos from time to time? Um, do you want to get into like TV shows or what's kind of your? What are some ideas? Yeah, that's a, so. That's a good. That's a good question. And um, for me, the question is actually, I think, an interesting. It's been an interesting part of being in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially because it, today, for all others we've spoken about, the way the way that a person would quote unquote make it has has changed significantly. Whereas you know, you used to you know come to LA and your your hope and dream was to get hired onto a to write for the writing staff of a sitcom. Right. Right. There's a there's a lot of other opportunities now. So you could be uh, you could write for a web series now. You could uh, right. you know you could you could work on somebody short film. There's a lot of there's sort of a lot of more opportunities and interesting things happening. There's more shows on Comedy Central. There's shows being developed uh, at various other cable yeah. networks. Um, so I think kind of the answer to the question is, uh, I hope this doesn't sound like a cop-out, but to to focus that specifically yeah, um, yeah. on one thing, to say like, you know what, I'm going to be a, I'm going to write for a sitcom. Right, right. Um, that can maybe be a difficult, uh, can, you, you can maybe uh, involuntarily pigeonhole yourself. Yeah. Um, so you're well, not focusing yeah. on any one thing. Your eggs aren't in one basket. Um, right. I mean, the, you're, you're I, again, I'm, I'm not a, I don't write for a television show, so what I could be saying might be might be the worst might be the worst perspective. Maybe I, maybe maybe I should you know nose to the grindstone try to get a sit, yeah. like that sitcom writing job or nothing else. You know that focus might no. be beneficial. But I think the what I was going to say was um, basically 
trying to be open. So Charlie and I right now try to be working on, um, we have a lot of projects that we're constantly trying to work on. So, uh, we, we still tour, uh, we still do the live, actually we still do the, uh, the videos. Um, we, uh, are writing a web series with, uh, some friends down here. Uh, we have been writing a couple of pilots. Uh, we've written a few plays. Uh, we actually just wrote a play that's going to be produced at the Los Angeles science fiction festival, which is pretty cool. Yeah. What's it about? Um, What's it about? It's a one-act play. It's it's actually kind of not a comedy. It's um, it's sort of it's sort of to explain. It's about uh, it's about it's about this guy who's interrogated by these aliens uh, in the midst of a, an intergalactic war, and there's sort of a, a comedy of errors in the in the aliens being completely incapable of figuring out how to communicate with this guy. I mean, they speak English, but it's like they're clearly just very confused, and they're trying to they're trying to understand how he thinks. It's weirdly not a comedy, um, but it's getting produced as part of the. Uh, Los Angeles Science Fiction Festival, um, which is cool. But like, awesome. so that's a perfect example of serendipity. We wrote another, I mean, a weirdly science fiction play a few years ago called Moby Alpha. Um, oh, which, you and that's what you tour on, right? We no? tour that. Uh, we have toured that show a lot. We took it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival uh, last year, which was great. We took it up to the Winnipeg and Edmonton festivals in Canada. We did it here in the Hollywood Fringe. We're taking it to New York uh, in April. Um, and that basically w- – so we ended up meeting the people that produced the Los Angeles Science Fiction Festival um, from doing that show. We did that show in the Hollywood Fringe. We just self-produced it. Uh, some people from that festival saw it, enjoyed it. They produced a short run of it uh, in their festival. And then um, we ended up kind of you know having a c- connection with them. So they were, I think, super amenable – to uh, reading our submissions when we wrote the sci-fi play this year, and you know, luckily they liked what we wrote, uh, and are you know producing producing our show, our new show this year. Um, but like those things, so right? That, I mean, well, yeah, one thing leads to another, right? And right, and you have no idea, yeah. and whether or not any of those things pans out, I, I mean, I hope they do, obviously, but uh, you never know. Well, part of that too is like the magic of LA, right? You just kind of like you facilitates all those like kind of connections. I think, um, to some yeah, extent. which is like it's both the magic and also part of what makes Los Angeles so maddening, right? If there were a, uh, if there really were an obvious direct path to uh, to be able to do what you wanted to do, um, then I think everybody would be doing it. But there's not, so everybody is you know kind of uh, rolling the dice, kind of seeing. Uh, yeah. where they can work on do some work that that finds an audience and finds some success and if if they if it does then they'll keep doing that and if it doesn't they'll they'll try something else who who are your influences now or who, what kind of comedians do you look to that you, you kind of think like yeah like what they're doing that's pretty cool i mean people that, I, that like so like contemporary comedians yeah contemporary comedians uh, um man i don't think so i think like the broad city girls are pretty much the funniest Okay, thing cool. in the world right now. I don't know if you watch that show. It's absolutely hilarious. I'm not, but I can check. I can check it out though. Yeah, it's so good. It's so funny. Um, yeah, really fantastic show. Uh, Veep is really great. That's obviously another like just wonderful, uh, wonderful show. Um, what else? Uh, I I I, uh, I was a big fan of uh, Workaholics, but I don't have television right now. So I don't have. I haven't watched the last couple of seasons. But have you seen that show? I've not. I've seen Veep a bunch. I've seen like that show, Veep. Veep's really good. I mean, it's obviously it's utterly hilarious. Yes. Um, also, if you're not watching Rick and Morty, you're you're crazy. I don't know if you're watching that show. 
Have you seen watch? Have you seen Rick and Morty? Uh, I I guess I'm crazy. I'll check it out. I will check it out for you, Chuck. I promise. I mean, I, I think Rick and Morty is like maybe maybe the funniest. Uh, I mean, it's definitely the funniest cartoon I think since The Simpsons. Uh, oh wait, no, no, yeah, I've totally seen Rick and Morty. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's the cartoon. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. They had this um, one song in there from like Blonde Redhead, which is like this indie band that I'm really into. And it was playing like this really old song from theirs. It was playing at the end of one of their episodes. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know that. And they instantly just like shot up in their street cred with me, like <laughs> yeah. 100% or something. Was, uh, really good. Yeah. I also, uh, there's like, I have a, I, I, I absolutely love Silicon Valley and I'm really excited for the new season. Yeah. Um, does it accurately portray life in Silicon Valley? It really does. Okay. Uh, it gets, it gets so much right uh, that it's, it's like, you, you, it's one of these shows where you kind of want to, like if you're watching it with somebody who hasn't worked in the tech industry, it, it makes you want to pause the show and turn to that person and say, this is real. People in Silicon Valley are, are really like this. This is, this is real. Yeah. Do you and Charlie ever switch back and forth between characters? Like, you're like, hey, I'll try this one out. And you guys kind of, in your live comedy, I assume you guys might do some of that, right? We do. Um, we usually will. That actually usually happens uh, kind of when we're rehearsing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then we'll switch. We'll like, we'll try it out like a few times as we're getting the sketch on its legs. Uh, and then what we'll sometimes do is um, for the first few times we do it, we might switch back and forth. So if we, if we have a brand new sketch, and we do it maybe, you know, the first five times, maybe I'll do it. I'll do one character three times and we'll switch characters and Charlie will do that character the, the other two times. And then usually, though, we get locked. to And um, I guess so now you're going on tour or are you on tour right now or are you, you know, you're, no. you're going to start to go on tour and then you're going to be gone, what, for like a few months or something like that or a month or two? So the next few months, I can give you the rundown if you want. We um, we uh, so we produce a monthly comedy show, a monthly sketch comedy show uh, here uh, actually up in North Hollywood. So here in LA at the Acme, uh, the Acme NoHo theater. Uh-huh. Uh, we, and we produce that with two other sketch groups, um, that we, uh, that we really love. Uh, one is called the DK and Morgan show who are two dudes that, uh, are from Bellingham. Cool. And we used to perf- yeah. They're, and they're great. We used to perform with them, um, all the time. We would go up to Bellingham and do a show when we lived in Seattle, we'd go up to Bellingham, do, do a show. They'd come down to Seattle. Yeah. Uh, like we'd open for each other. It was great. So we became good friends with them. And then we all kind of happened to move to LA at the same time. Uh, and then the other group, uh, are, uh, two women, uh, they're called, <clears throat> excuse me, they're called Lelon and Wilder. Cool. They're awesome. Um, and we met them. This is again, one of those like, just like LA things. We met them on some indie show that we were doing that they were also doing and we hit it off and we really liked their styles. So we said, like, Oh, we should all, do a show. a show together. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it's been a good place. It's, you know, it's a monthly show. It's an opportunity for us to try new stuff out. And, um, yeah. And it's like, it's, and it's really fun with two groups that are, you know, like probably some of our best friends down here. Yeah. Um, but you cool. were asking what I, your tour logistically touring. Right. So okay. we're turn. producing that. That's our, that's our, that's our staple. That's our, that's our home turf show. Uh, and then let's see. And you're on, going around the East coast or where you yeah, yeah, yeah. So on next month, April, we'll be in New York for uh we'll be there doing uh just four performances of moby alpha okay in new york hey man i'm in dc so maybe i'll go up and uh i'll watch your show we can do Uh, maybe maybe we could i could do we could do a podcast or do i got a short interview with you and uh you and charlie together maybe yeah that'd be great well you should get you should just do one with charlie and and then and then collaborate and see if our answers lined up about most of what he says. Uh, yeah, like a hostage scenario thing. Well, well Chuck, Chuck said this. Yeah, exactly. Can, can exactly. See, yeah, see, see how much, 
see how much information you can extract and you know whether you can get uh, one of us to sell the other one out. Uh, but uh, so we're doing that New in York. April, and I think that runs April. I don't have the dates in front of me. It's basically like it's in uh, April sometime. I think, I think it's like the like the seventh through the fourteenth, um, and cool. that's at the the People's Improv Theater uh, in Manhattan. I believe it's a, a theater called the Pit Loft. And then just New York. Yeah, I think that's right. Actually, I think I looked at the details yesterday. It is the Pit yeah. Loft. Yeah. Uh, um, then, yeah. And then, and then yeah, just New York for that. This is we're just, just going New out York. The and then you're not going to do Boston or any other places. Uh, no. No, no, no. I mean, we would love to. If uh, I mean, it's one of the questions of uh, just production, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But but you're open to doing other shows in other places, right? If just just not at this point. Oh yeah. Or whatever. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Just yeah. Just it's just a question of uh, production. So we're actually doing. Um, Have you done New York before? We did a show at the Pit in 2010, which was uh, oh yeah, and it was. I did think it go was well? Was it a good show? Uh, Did it go well? I mean, it was well received. It, it went fine. I mean, we were. I think you know, we were. We were. We were. We were kind of. Uh, kind of looking. I think. Think back. I think we were kids. It, it went fine. Yeah. It went I, well. I, I know. Uh, what I think. I think a lot of your humor would do really well with like the Brooklynites and like oh, all the whole you. kind of crowd. I, I really do, man. Because I, I, I mean, I think your stuff. It's it's a bit more. I mean, you got to have a basic. Interest. I don't know if you have to be like really smart to understand it, but it's a bit more cerebral. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people in Brooklyn that would just really love, you know, that kind of comedy. Like they would just really hit well. I, well, maybe yeah, I hope they come see our show. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> see, you know, I'm always curious uh, on like like the audience reactions, and and I don't just mean like whether they like it or not. But here's a weird thing that I've noticed is that this in different cities. Right, laughs will come at, at different times. Different times. So if you, oh, have, wow. if you have a show that's you know like that is going fine or whatever. Yeah. Right. A, a, a Milwaukee audience will laugh at a different part of the show than will a Chicago audience sure. or will a San Francisco audience, which is surprising, right? Because you're like, well, these are jokes. Um, so and I have no I have no theories as to why. Do you think there's like a critical mass, you know, like, like, so if you actually get like, you know, five or six people to laugh at a joke, then a lot more people are likely to kind of like, you know, catch that wave and laugh with it too. Or do you think oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, having a packed show will, I mean, yeah, then, you know, if you, if you have a packed, if you have a packed theater, then no joke usually misses unless, unless you have a terrible uh, show. Yeah. But if you have, if you have a decent show and, and a packed theater, then people are picking up on all the jokes. If you have, you know, a, an audience of five or like five people or less, which We've had many times, uh, you know. I mean, it's part of the, It's part of what happens, uh, you know. Then people will uh, people will miss jokes, or you know, uh, certain jokes just won't. Well, because yeah, I mean, you're always going to have like you know that maybe like a third or maybe even a half sometime that aren't really paying full attention, and you know they might just miss that one word or that one moment, and then you know if you don't have, and they might have been the only people that might have gotten that joke, so. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, this is again one of the reasons why I think live comedy uh, is um, is is so important, and also I think um, sort of secure in its in its in its uh, existential state. I'll say I've, I've sort of I think maybe contradicted myself on its uh, on how lucrative it, it can or will be, but uh, as far as just its existence as an art form, uh, it, 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 it's here to stay. Um, and by, by that I mean the connection that the audience feels with the performers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that creates a really shared bond. It's one of the reasons why when you see a really great improv show, right? I mean, it, you're all kind of on the same team and you're watching the improvisers. You know, they're making it up on the spot. And when they pull it off, it's like, you know, oh, yeah. it's like watching your, it's like watching your sports team, 
you know, win the championship. It's, it's, it's amazing. You know, you, 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 oh, yeah. you feel, you feel connected to what's happening. Uh, and it's just not something that you get from, uh, from, you know, yeah. from a video medium or, uh, but, or, but when it doesn't work, you feel like, where can I be anywhere in the <laughs> world except for this place right here? Right. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> almost. I guess, I guess, I guess if you go, I mean, like, I guess if you go see a bad, I guess you can turn off your TV. That's 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 the problem. But yeah, I was at this one show. I, th- I think it was at the Upright Citizens Brigade. So I go there all the time. But it was at, I think their midnight show, and um, Aziz Ansari showed up, and then Rob Hubel, and then that other guy um, who did the Human Giant with them. Um, and they were doing, they were hosting. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah, that's him. Which I think all those guys are really funny. I'm big fans of all the stuff they've done. Um, but like they were practicing these jokes that were going to be for this award ceremony they were doing like the next week. And so they were like really not exactly on their game. And they took about two hours. And <laughs> about an hour or an hour and a half of that was just them practicing out jokes and being like, oh, well, that one doesn't work. This one doesn't work. And like about an hour into that, and it was about 1, 1.30 a.m. And I was just like, geez, um, can we... <laughs> Can we get to something funny, guys? Um, but yeah, so when, by the time it was about two a.m., it was I, I was I was pretty much done. I think uh, my brain was just exhausted. But uh, yeah, it's just like when, we, when they're practicing when, when it's not funny, um, it can be it can be rough. But, but the moments uh, when it's funny, like, it brings you, people together very quickly. Yeah, but that's uh, those guys had to get some reps, right? Like, I mean, I didn't see the show, so I can't talk to it. But I bet if you were a, if you were a hardcore Human Giant fan, I mean, you might have dug that, right? In the same way that. Uh, people who are, you know, the way oh. that people who are huge fans of bands will, you know, buy all the B sides and be really interested in how the sausage gets made. Yeah, I rem- yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah, no, I was, you know, I still enjoyed it. I mean, I was with my girlfriend, who I think she wasn't quite feeling it as much. But I remember there was this one guy in the front row who was just like absolutely had that face of like, like, look, like I'm dying. Just like, when is this show can be over? <laughs> and one of the guys, I think it was Rob Hubel, came out and he's just like, hey, this guy, man, you're my fan. Sorry, man. You've just been absolutely miserable this whole time. I'm sorry, dude. You know, we're just trying out new jokes, whatever. And he had this moment. And the guy kind of smiled for a second, but then he went back to his, like, angry face. So, yeah, it was kind of a funny audience moment there. But, yeah, well, so. that's that's tough, man. Doing Basically doing open mic material in a midnight show. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, cool, yeah. Chuck. Well, hey, do you have anything else you want to plug? Anything else we didn't, talk, we didn't cover? I've had a good uh, time. Let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll also be in Austin. Um, Austin, Texas, the second week of May. Okay. And our new play, uh, Randomized Skin, will be premiering in the Los Angeles Science Fiction Festival uh, on May 5th. Nice. Uh, maybe May 4th, whatever the Thursday is. I think it's May 5th. Um, and if you want to know anything about us, uh, the best way is to follow along on Facebook. And our uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash Charles Comedy. Facebook slash Charles Comedy. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, I, I knew Chuck from growing up in Seattle. Um, he's a really funny guy and also a really nice guy. So um, thank you so much, Mark. Support. I always, uh, I always found exactly the same thing about you, and it was always a, uh, it was always a treat to get to do, uh, to do the comedy skits with you in, uh, in our, uh, in our drama class. Have you ever been back in the day? Back, back in, in the day. day. Uh, yeah, and um, man, this is great. Thank you so much for having me. All right, man. Such. It's great, to, it's great to hear from you and uh, great to be on your show. I know. And this, because it's been so long, <laughs> we might have to divide this up into two episodes. But uh, I'll do the editing and I'll get it back as soon as I can. All right? All right. Sounds good, sir. All right, man. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.